Amen. Great. So um, what am I going to talk about this morning? So um, this is really something that God's been speaking to me over the, the last few weeks. And if it's okay, I'm actually going to be sharing it with you. So um, we're going to go on a little journey together about, um, yeah, just what, what God's been speaking to me. And I hope you take something away from that. And really, this topic is going to be about integrity. And I promise you it's going to be more exciting than it sounds, because generally when people hear the word integrity, they, they think of a few different things. They might uh, think, hey, it's, you know, it's your being honest, or it makes you a good person, or it's a nice character trait to have. Or if you're being really fancy, you might come up with a definition that says something along the lines of, hey, it's what you do when no one else is watching. And I'm sure we've all heard um, different versions of that in, in our lives. But what I want to do is I want to um, approach it from a bit of a different angle, um, look at it from a different perspective. And what I'm going to be talking about is balloons. balloons. And uh, please please stay with me, so your, your average little party balloon. And yeah, this is just a little, little Kmart balloon uh, that we all know and love. Um, but we all have certain expectations of a balloon. So if we just blow it up, yeah, no pressure at all, right? Okay, so we're not going to go the whole way, but just imagine we blow it up, we tie it off, we've got our balloon. We know what to expect. We know it's the shape it's going to have. We know how it's going to act. We know what it's going to do. No surprises there. But if we take this same balloon and we go right up, into the atmosphere, high altitudes, to the edge of space. Um, what's what's going to happen with this balloon? And uh, I know we're going back to high school science here. But it's going to explode, right? It's going to explode because the pressure on the outside of the balloon is so much less than the pressure on the inside. So it loses its shape, and it just bursts apart. We take the same balloon, right? And we just go deep down into the ocean as far as we can. Down the Marianas Trench. Um, we take the balloon down. What's, what's going to happen with it then? Basically the opposite. It's going to implode. In this case, the pressure on the outside is way bigger than the pressure on the inside. And it's just going to collapse in on itself. And the reason for that is the mismatch between the pressure on the inside and the pressure on the outside. And in, but in both cases, the balloon is just completely destroyed and ripped apart. Now, it's this principle of integrity, of um, a shape keeping its integrity, keeping its um, shape and its structure, that actually causes boats to float, causes space shuttles to space, causes submersibles to submerge. And it's really all about keeping that integrity, that integrity of the shape, keeping that balance between the inside and the outside pressure in those cases. And if you've ever watched a disaster movie that includes a plane or a sub or a boat, there's going to be at some point just before disaster hits where somebody screams into a microphone or whatever saying that, hey, we're losing whole integrity. And then, you know, it all goes belly up from that point. But here's the thing, right? We're, we're all like, balloons in, in our own ways. Now, don't, don't take that the wrong way. And the reason I say that is because we've got things on the inside of us. We've got our pressures, our expectations, our character traits on the inside of us. 
that we keep hidden away that no one else can see that just sits there. But then we also have the outside world with its pressures, our expectations of it, the outside world's expectations of us. And what can happen is, just like this balloon, as we go through life and we might be hitting all kinds of goals, sitting on the mountain tops, hitting all our achievements, but because of this mismatch between the pressure on the inside and the pressure on the outside, that can just cause us to be ripped apart and, you know, for things to lose shape and get all bent out of uh, purpose. In the same way, if um, we hit the depths of life, you know, we're at our lowest at the low, and we have this mismatch between the pressures, life just crushes us. We just get completely, completely um, imploded. And this is really what I want to unpack a little bit. It's, okay, what do we actually do with this? How do we balance this expectation of the pressures of the inside and the outside? And my um, definition for integrity for the rest of the few minutes that we have together is the consistency between our interior and exterior worlds. So the question is, how do we get this consistency? And... What I want to do is look at a passage of Scripture from one of the great Christian leaders, uh, Paul, who actually struggled with this question, and he very clearly lays out his struggles with it in a letter to the Roman church in, back in the day, and it says in Romans 7, verse 15 to 25, that's a bit of a scripture, so stay with me, and it says in verse 15, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. And the law is, you know, God's expectations of us and how we should live. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. So Paul is seeing that, hey, he knows we're flawed human beings. We've all got stuff on us. We're, we're not, not perfect. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, am I not really the one doing wrong? It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I, I swear, it, it gets better. Um, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. My mind, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a sin to slave. So Paul's being pretty honest here. You know, he's, he's talking about the struggle that he's having about balancing about what he wants to do on the inside, but the stuff he's facing on the outside, his expectations, his pressures, his, his expectations from himself, the culture at the time. How do I balance it? How do I balance these two ways of, of living? 
And it's also quite confronting because you, you look at Paul as, you know, the this, this super Christian from, from back in the day. If, if he's really struggling with this, what, what hope is there for, for the rest of us? I mean, that's a, that's a very valid question. And I think we all face this, um, this issue regardless of our worldview. You could be um, completely non-believer or from another religious background, but you'll be facing this and asking the same question in, different, in a different way. Um, I know the modern culture, they tend to look at it in, with the perspective of, I can do what I want as long as I don't hurt anyone. But even with that outlook, if you follow it all the way down, you're going to get to a place where doing what you want and not hurting other people, that, that doesn't get squared. That you're, you're going to run into a wall at, at some point. So if you follow the cultures of, of the world, um, it, it, you end up in brokenness. But in the same way, just being a Christian doesn't remove that tension at all. Um, in fact, Jesus actually talks about it um, directly, about the religious leaders of, of the day. And it actually says in Matthew 23, verse 27, What sorrows await you, teachers of religious laws and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones of, and all sorts of impurity. Outward, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So this is Jesus directly speaking with the religious people back in the day. They can put up this facade, make it look like it's working, make it look good. But again, the inside and the outside isn't matching at all. And we, we can often be tempted to think that we're better than we are because of... Um, you know, our Christian background or whatever background we, we come from. And there's even, you know, some people that have the perspective of the church that oh, they all think they're, they're better than everyone else. But even Jesus says, no, you're definitely not. And he hits it on the head on Romans 3 verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And earlier in Romans 3, verses 11 to 12, it says, No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Ouch. So this is, um, you know, if, if you're thinking you're, you're better than anyone else, it, it just kind of shows we all have this fundamental flaw as human beings that we're not perfect. We're dealing with the pressures that is inside of us and what's outside of us, trying to balance those two, trying to do our best, but we're going to fall, we're going to fail because we're human and, you know, we, we are just built that way, unfortunately. But what are, we, what are we to do? Are we fated to be crushed by life, crushed by the things of the world? Is this just what it is? Actually, no. Thankfully, no. Um, Jesus goes on to address this, and it's in the parable of the lost son. And if you don't know the parable of the lost son, um, I'm just going to paraphrase it just for the sake of time. It's a story that Jesus told to the people at the time to demonstrate God's love for us. 
And the story is about this father that has two sons. And the youngest son goes to the father and says, hey, I want my inheritance now. And what that means in that context is the son's basically saying, hey, I, I kind of wish you were dead. I just want what I can get from you right now. Um, give it to me. And, you know, surprisingly, the dad does. So he cashes out the son's inheritance, gives it to the youngest son, and um, the youngest son grabs that and is on his way. And he just spends it on wild living. He lives this wild lifestyle, partying, doing whatever he wants to. But then he runs out of money. And a famine hits the land, and he's destitute, and he doesn't know what to do. And he ends up actually as a worker on a pig farm. Oh, he's a Jewish kid in the story. Um, you know that the Jews actually... Sorry, guys, just the time is um, popped up. Yeah. Um, so he's a Jewish kid doing his work with pigs. And um, as we know, the Jews see pigs as these unclean animals. So he's really at his lowest, lowest point taking that job. And he's famished. It's a famine. He's looking at the food of the pigs. He's thinking that looks really, really good. So he lands at this place. It's like, man, I, I just need to go home. Um, I need to go home to my dad. Hopefully he just accepts me as a servant, as a worker on, on the property. Um, I just need to live. I can't, can't go on like this. And he practices what he's saying in his head. It's like, dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Please, please take me back. And you have to remember at that time, uh, this is, uh, you know, an ancient Near, East, uh, Near Eastern culture that, you know, has an honor-shame culture where you honor the elders, and if you bring shame on them, um, you know, your life is forfeit at that point. So because he dishonored his dad by doing all these various things, like his dad in that culture at the time had every right to, you know, essentially give him the death penalty. So he, he took a risk going to, to his dad, but it's like, look, Anything is better than what I've got now, so I'm just going to go and try. And if I'm taken on as a servant, great. But if I get put to death, well, even that's probably better than what's, what's happening right now. But so he gets up and he goes. And what happens in verse 20 of this story is it says, So he went up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And he completely accepts his son back. In fact, he, he runs to his son. He was looking out for his son. He was looking down the road, maybe day after day, hoping that his son's going to come back. And again, this is a Jewish man at that time. He doesn't run. He doesn't show affection or compassion like that. Again, it's this honor-shame culture. But he does that because he's, he's filled with love and compassion for his son. And he just, he just did that. And again, we can feel like that's such a nice story to hear. But when Jesus was um, speaking this parable at that time, this would have been quite a controversial story to tell. Everyone hearing this story would probably be saying, like, yeah, now this kid needs to be put to death. How dare he do this? Like, how can the father accept him back after everything that he's done? But 
God did. I mean, and in this story, God stands in for the father and we're like the lost son. So even with this incredible shamefulness, the, the son was accepted back. So taking all these different strands together of wanting to balance what's on the inside with the outside, knowing that we're flawed and we'll never be able to do it in our own strength, but also knowing that God is a God of love and compassion that accepts us and wants to take us back. There's, there's three things that I actually found from this story that, that spoke to me that actually helped balance this out. And I'm, I'm going to just quickly run through those for the last few minutes that we have. And the first was the son had the intention. He had intention, but then he also took imperfect action. And on top of that, the son's intention and perfect action was God's working in the situation. And that actually equaled an integrous life for the son. Not, not a perfect life. It was the father covering over the mistakes of the son. The son didn't reach it on his own. But ultimately, he was restored because of what the father did. So it's a bit of a formula. It's the intention plus the imperfect action plus God's spirit at work equals an integrous filled life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through those three points quickly. And the intention is the first step. And it's knowing that we need to make a change. It's ultimately it comes out of a place of humility. The son humbled himself. He knew that I made a mistake. The way I'm living is not right. I, I need to do something. So he's got the intention in the humility to take an action, to turn back to where the father was turning back towards his dad, regardless of the mistakes that he's made in the knowledge that, you know, he's loved. And then he takes an imperfect action. Um, he gets up and he walks to his dad and he's practiced his story saying like, dad, I've sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. Just take me back as a hired servant. Um, he should be put to death, but he's taking this imperfect action to turn back towards the father and often in our context that could just mean showing up you know um, showing up to church showing up to the people that love us showing up to the time with God showing up to loving people despite of what we're doing despite of how we're feeling or despite of how they treat us um, it's just showing up and doing it imperfectly because we're not going to do it perfect. But then there's God's spirit that, that covers over all this imperfection. Because ultimately, it's God that pursues us. We, we can take our actions, but like the dad, God runs towards us. God's looking for us. He's looking for us to have that intention and have that humility to turn towards him. And once we do that, he runs towards us and he restores us. Um, it goes on to talk in the story about how the dad puts on a new cloak over the son. He kills the fattened calf and has this great party to, to celebrate. And not everyone's happy about the celebration, but the dad is celebrating because his son is back. Yeah. In the same way, God does a work that covers over our, our imperfection. And it's doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't make 
take away the the things that we have done or the consequences of what we've done in many cases, but ultimately God covers that and balances that the inside between the outside. And it's all God's response towards us. Towards us. It's a love that we don't deserve, and it's Jesus' sacrifice that makes up for all our shortcomings. And uh, I'll actually invite the, the band to come up as we, as we slowly wrap up. Yeah, so ultimately, we can't create the consistency between our inside and outside worlds. Um, we didn't create the universe. We don't know all the ins and outs of how everything and everyone is put together. We barely understand ourselves at times. So for us to balance all of this is, is impossible. But there is somebody that did create us. There's somebody that created the universe. It's somebody that knows how we've been put together. There's somebody that knows how the universe is put together and how all these things flow together. And that's, that's Jesus. That's, that's God. That's God is the only one that can create that consistency. God is the only one that can cover all those gaps in our lives. He created us. He loves us. Uh, despite all our flaws, he pursues us. And even though we don't always get everything right, God's grace is there to help us on this journey over a lifetime. So I'm quickly going to pray, and then we'll spend a bit of time in worship uh, before I hand back to Pastor Eli to pray for us. Father God, Lord, we, we thank you that, that you love us. Despite what we might do, despite what we might think, despite where we come from, God, you, you know us, you love us, you pursue us, you pursue us wherever we're at. We might feel like we're just coasting through life, we might feel like we're on the mountaintop or at the depths, Lord God. We might be feeling like a balloon that's about to burst or get crushed or just comfortable where we are, God, but ultimately you're the only one that can navigate us through all of life's seasons, wherever we might find ourselves, God. So we thank you for that love. We thank you for the sacrifice, Lord God, that, that you've made, Lord God, for us to have this relationship with you. We, we love you for that, God, and we thank you for that. And we just pray, Lord God, in this time that, Lord, we just come to a realization of you again, Lord God, that each person here, Lord God, just gets that, that touch from you, that feeling of what you want to do, in their lives, where you want to meet them, and Lord, what the next steps you have for them. Amen.